Hi, Cornerstone. This is Terry McCumber. I'm just calling to say thank you so much to the Amplify Kids and their families for the beautiful art that they've been doing on the doors at church. It looks amazing. Also, just to let Amplify Kids know, I'm praying for your retreat this weekend. I hope that it is really meaningful in all kinds of new ways. Um, praying for your leaders and all of you as you enter into an entirely new creative way of having a retreat. Wish I could bake cookies or meals for you guys. Going to miss that part of it. Have a great weekend. Miss all of you at Cornerstone so much. Goodbye. Hello, this is Eden Boyer. Um, my grandma has been sending me jokes, and I wanted to share one with you. Here it goes. Um, what did the limestone say to the geologist? Don't take me for granted. <laughs> I miss you all, and I hope to see you again soon. Bye. Hi, Cornerstone. This is Lana. Here is a joke I made up. Here it goes. What did one flower say to the other flower? Hi, flower. <laughs> miss you all. Bye. Hello, Cornerstone. This is Ben Bernard calling. I'm calling to just say thanks. Uh, to all my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus that make you cornerstone. At this time, I'd like to share some scripture of encouragement to you. I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-11. through 11. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. At the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. And also, Cornerstone, may the Holy Spirit continue to dwell inside of you in the hours, days, and weeks ahead. May you bless and be blessed. Amen and amen. Hi, Cornerstone. Um, got this scripture from the Lord, um, and it had a profound impact on me and on my heart. But it is Isaiah 29:13. The Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. And then Matthew six twenty-one. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Let that word speak to you, Cornerstone, and to the larger, broader church in our community and in the world. Hello Cornerstone, Justin here. 
In today's podcast, we start a new message series. Over the next few months, we will be in the Gospel of Mark, hearing and learning and reflecting on the story of Jesus. Stories in general have this great power and influence over us humans. On one hand, they take us out of our present moment and they thrust us into another world. They remind us that our personal experience isn't the whole understanding of life. But on the other hand, stories speak directly to our own hearts in the here and now. They help form and inform the way we think and act and feel. And here in the scriptures, we have the Word of God story, the story above all stories that calls to us over and over again to follow the truth and give allegiance to what matters most. Every time we listen to a portion of the Gospel of Mark, we will use a whole chapter as the call to worship. Then there will be a short homily, and the homily might be an overview of the chapter, or it might be a deep dive into one of the sections of it. It might be looking behind the text for a word study or placing ourselves in the shoes of a character as they interact with Jesus. Connected to the series on Mark, there will be a Bible reading group that meets over Zoom for the next six weeks. That starts on April 29th in the evening. And also starting on April 29th, there will be an additional lunchtime Zoom prayer meeting focused on intercession based out of the types of people we see in the gospel. I encourage you, Cornerstone, to do two things as we go through Mark. One, read the chapter that we are on at least three times during the week as part of your personal devotions. Read it in different versions, perhaps the ESV and then the NLT and then even the message. Second, as you reflect on it, consider the four devotions that the early church committed themselves to in Acts chapter 2. To teaching, how is the gospel trying to renew my mind on who Jesus is. To fellowship, how is the gospel calling me into participation with God's purpose for the world? With breaking of bread, in a broken, naked, humbled, everyday state of being, how is the gospel speaking to my sin and my need for healing? And with prayer, taking a hint from the psalmists, how is the gospel story inviting me into communion, into dialogue, and even into wrestling with who God and Jesus are? In the first few verses of chapter one of Mark, there is a scripture quote, and it says it's from Isaiah, but it's actually a combination from Isaiah and Malachi. And if you look at where the references are lifted from, You have this combination of judgment and rescue that brings about the kingdom of God. In a slightly nerdier thought in verse 41 of chapter 1, there are some ancient manuscripts that have Jesus responding in two different ways to a request for healing. Many manuscripts say Jesus was moved with pity, but a few say Jesus was indignant. Those are pretty contrasting emotions. But perhaps God's love is seen in both his judgment and his rescue. Perhaps God's grace is displayed both in compassion and in anger. 
We bring a lot of questions to the scriptures, but also remember that the scriptures question us. So embrace the comfort, embrace the challenge in the story of this flesh and blood person that is Jesus, our now exalted Messiah, Savior, and King. Today, Ron will lead us in worship, Angie in a benediction, Dennis in praying for Calvary Chapel, Vicki in praying for Parker Ford Church. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hey, Cornerstone, it's Ron. The call to worship comes out of Mark 1 today. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, 
but he would not let the demon speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You are good, you are good, when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light, when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. You are peace, you are peace, when my fears cripple in. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, in you death has lost its sting. And oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing Jesus
Hello again, Cornerstone. So let's imagine that we have a bulletin in our hands and as usual for me, I forgot my bulletin. So I ask someone in the front row, usually Elena, if I can use hers. Let's turn to the back of the bulletin where I want to read some quotes to open us up. The first quote is from an introduction to the Gospel of Mark from N.T. Wright. He writes, Mark, at first blush, the easiest of the synoptic gospels, contains a simple outline, it seems. Eight chapters to explain who Jesus is, eight to explain that he is going to die. An abrupt beginning and a mysterious ending. The abruptness of the opening and the darkness of the ending, many have said, permeate the whole. Mark is a book of secrets, of veils, of mysteries. I think we are all more sensitive to how abruptly things can change during this COVID-19 season, and likewise how gloom can be knocking on our door. Next quote from Os Guinness from his book, God in the Dark. Every generation is apt to see Christ in its own image and produce its own plastic Jesus. Our generation dismisses the regretful Jesus of the Middle Ages or the gentlemanly Jesus of the Victorian drawing rooms. But the selection of Christ's offer today is worthy of the supermarket age. Jesus the Liberator, Jesus the Soul Man, Jesus Blessed Master, Jesus the Revolutionary, Jesus the Typical Poor Person, Jesus the Great Prophet. The array is bewildering and the effect is numbing. After all, how do we know that our own picture of Jesus is right? Especially when we realize that we too bring assumptions to faith. Let's pray. God, we come before you thanking you in all circumstances, asking that you would reveal your heart your presence, your will, your ways to all of us. Jesus, we desire to come to hear your story, for the word of God to tell us who you are. We attempt to undress ourselves of all our pictures of you that we hold. We do so that we may receive you in truth renewed. And yet, God, we confess that there are parts of us we feel like we dare not expose, dare not offer to you in sacrifice. Holy Spirit, wash us, cleanse us, tear us, strengthen us. For the glory of God, we pray, Lord, have mercy. Amen. If you are following along in your Bibles, I would ask that you would turn to Mark chapter 1, and then you can keep your, your finger there, and then flip over to Mark chapter 16, and uh, we'll get there in a couple minutes. We're going to kind of be jumping back and forth a little bit later. A few weeks ago, I rewatched the number five highest grossing movie of all time with Eden and Lana. That movie is Avengers Infinity War. 
and maybe you are cheering or groaning because it's part of this decade's superhero franchise explosion. Some love the stories, other want to break out of the comic book genre altogether. Regardless, it was a popular movie, and even if you didn't see it, you'll understand in a minute while, why I am mentioning it. Uh, spoilers ahead, by the way. So this time as the film was coming to a close, the conclusion struck me and then made me go back to the very start of the movie. It reminded me of the Gospel of Mark in some weird ways. Infinity War parallels the Gospel of Mark and how similar and different it was with its beginning and its end. First moments matter. We can think about starting a new grade in school or a first kiss or a first heartbreak or first day at a new job or first time someone close to us dies. First words can be memorable too. Naomi and I laid in the bed the other night and we couldn't remember the first words of Eden or Aubrey or Alice, probably Dada or Mama or Bye Bye, but we could remember Lana's first word, which I've mentioned before, and if anybody remembers their Boyer trivia, Lana's first word was romper. That's right, romper. Clear as day, obviously unintended, but that was her first word. At the beginning of Infinity War, the bad guys have taken over this refugee ship and are violently grabbing for power. Thanos is the leader. The first words spoken are from his right-hand henchmen and are addressed to the devastated people. Hear me and rejoice. You have had the privilege of being saved by the great Titan. You may think this is suffering. No, it's salvation. Universal scales tipped toward balance because of your sacrifice. Smile, for even in death, you have become children of Thanos. This is the good news according to Thanos. This is his gospel declaring his rule and reign and how he will provide deliverance. Euangelion is the Greek word that translates into gospel or good news in Mark chapter 1. It has a theological history that goes back to the Hebrew scriptures of glad tidings when God will deliver his exiled people from their oppressors, and not only that, but transform their very hearts. But Euangelion was also used around Jesus' time in the Greco-Roman world. As an example, the, the birth announcement of Emperor Augustus called the emperor savior, who would end war and order all things. The emperor was labeled a god, and he was the beginning of the good tidings for the world. This was the gospel declaration of the emperor. There were other gospels out there in the ancient world, and there are multiple gospels in our modern world about who has power and who is worthy about who can save us and what can make us whole. As Mark begins to write the story of Jesus, he has a very direct start, the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus the Messiah. This is a counter-imperial declaration. This is political treason to the people of his day and to us here now. Who is king? 
Who is God? Are we giving our allegiance to the Republican way of life? Are we seeking the democratic policies and that they will save us? Are we liberating ourselves into narcissism? Does apathy toward the world around us reign as ruler? Mark's first words tell us that this story seeks to show you that Jesus is king, God's chosen one, not the historic Augustus or Caesar, not the modern Trump or Wolf, not you, not me. We act out of who we are, and as the gospel according to Mark unfolds in our reading, we'll see what distinguishes Jesus from other powers and rulers, both in who he is and how he brings the kingdom of God near. The fictional Thanos brought so-called salvation by sacrificing others. The pinnacle of Christ's flesh and blood ministry, however, was on the cross, laying down his life for others. Both Thanos and Mark proclaim a gospel at their beginning. Those gospels are very different. Now, how about the ending of the gospel of Mark and of the movie Infinity War? Last things are important too, just as first things are. Your final days on the job with people you've spent years with. Your final exam before graduation. Your final meal with someone before they move far away. The last words you speak to someone before they die, or that you speak before you do. The final moments in Infinity War have the good guys defeated. Thanos, with a snap of the finger, annihilated half the population of all living things in the universe. And somehow, of course, he wasn't one of the ones that disappeared. As friends and family are watching their loved ones literally blow away as dust, one of them asks, What is this? What's happening? And then the final words uttered in the film are, Oh God. As the characters realize the unimaginable tragedy that has taken place. It then cuts to this super beautiful sunset where evil, where Thanos is sitting with a serene smile on his face. As N.T. Wright mentioned before, there is not only a sharp beginning to Mark, but a shadowy end. An, oh God, what is happening kind of moment. So what I want us to do is just take notice of the book ends of Mark for a minute. The importance of the beginning and the end, how they complement or contrast or are even in tension with one another. But specifically allow the book ends to pull you into the story of Jesus and ask How did we get from there to here? So at the beginning, Mark himself, the narrator, the gospel editor, starts with the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet he ends the story in chapter 16, verse 8, with trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We go from something good to something frightening. How did we get here? In the opening, we have God himself speaking over Jesus. 
saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At the end, though, at the crucifixion, there is no voice from heaven saying, stop. When Christ dies, God is verbally silent. However, what we do see is that the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. The first words from a messenger, so at the beginning from John the Baptist, John said that Jesus is powerful and that Jesus' baptism will be greater than water. It'll be with the Holy Spirit. The messenger at the end of the story, the angel harmonizes this proclamation, saying Christ, who was crucified, is not here in the tomb. He is risen. Those characters are on the same page at the beginning and the end. Those who are opponents of Jesus, interestingly enough, are in agreement with one another also at the bookends of the story, specifically regarding who Jesus is. In Mark 1, we have demons worried that Jesus is around, that he showed up on the scene, confessing they know who he is. He is the Holy One of God. In Mark 15, one of those who uh, crucifies Jesus, a centurion, looks at Christ's dead body and confesses, surely this man was the son of God. The label son of God was also a title that some of the emperors gave to themselves. So to have the centurion state this is of double importance, both in the theological and political realms. The first words of Jesus's followers were, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. But by the end, only a small group of faithful women are asking who will roll the stone away from the tomb now that all others have abandoned and moved on from Jesus. And finally, the first words of Christ himself. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Contrast that with his last words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark, being moved by the Holy Spirit, knew what he was doing in ordering this account of Jesus the way he did. Somehow, in some way, the good news is that Christ was forsaken, that God forsook himself. And that brought a very spiritual and very down-to-earth victory, unlike anything else history has seen. This is not a worldly, passing, transient gospel. This is an eternal, everlasting, ongoing good news that continues to unfold in our lives today. I was chatting with a friend recently about Holy Week. She said that every year the story of Jesus' death and resurrection gets crazier and crazier to her. She wasn't saying this with doubt as her central motivator, though I'm sure that was floating around. It was more like it's fantastical that this is reality, that this happened. Almost like the story of Jesus is more true than life itself. Os Guinness writes that we have reason to believe what we do about God and Christ. We walk by faith, not by sight, yes, but we don't walk against reason. We might not know everything, but we can be sure of some things. Our faith 
is a trust in the face of mystery. It is not a trust in the midst of absurdity. Mark doesn't wrap up his gospel nice and neatly. But he gives us story after story of Jesus, encounter after counter. Sometimes we think if we just had more evidence, we could be confident in following Jesus. But even some who saw the risen Christ had a hard time believing. So maybe our hesitation isn't about lack of evidence, but lack of earnestness with ourselves and with God. When at the end of Mark, there is trembling and bewilderment and the announcement that Jesus is risen, but there's no interaction with the risen Christ, Mark is calling us into account. Will we disregard, will we discount all that Jesus did in his life? All that was written about for 15 chapters that displayed who he is and what God's kingdom is about. You see, if we don't respond to the gospel according to Thanos, Who cares? It's fictional. It might speak to us certain things about the world around us, but it doesn't matter. This gospel of Jesus, however, the one Mark will try to persuade us about over the next few months, does matter. It will make us look at the past, present, and future through the eyes of the kingdom of God. And so, Cornerstone, the whole of Mark's writing, from beginning to end, is unfolding Jesus' first words to us. Repent and believe the good news. Hello, Cornerstone. This is Dennis Culling. I uh, miss you all. I miss being together. I miss seeing your smiling faces. And uh, here is a virtual hug to all of you. I love you all. Um, this month we are praying for Calvary Chapel as a church, and um, I would like to offer up a prayer for for them, our brothers and sisters at Calvary. Heavenly Father, we um, we stand with our neighboring church. Our daughter church, uh, Lord, we we lift up the leadership there, Pastor Tom and and the other leaders. We pray that they uh, might have wisdom to lead their uh, flock through these uh, perilous times. Um, yeah, give them a special dose of wisdom to know how to meet the needs of their people. Lord, as they run their fruit pantry there, we... Um, we pray that it may be as um, just as Jesus given the food to the hungry, and uh, we pray that it meets the needs of, of those who would otherwise have a good meal to eat. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around around our brothers and sisters there that they uh, may stay free from the COVID nineteen virus. Um, yeah, keep them healthy to um, continue their work there. Lord, for, for all the, the of the those that attend that church, we just pray that they live victorious lives in Jesus. We pray that their lives would shine brightly in the community in a way that would make others curious as to what is different in their lives. And um, yeah, Lord, we just pray a blessing on on um, each one of them there. <clears throat> 
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And of course, though, my prayer for all of us is much the same. And uh, I know times are hard, but uh, so just keep your chin up, press on. There's better days ahead. And you can bank on that. Amen. Goodbye. Hi, Cornerstone family. This is Vicki. We're going to be lifting up Parker Ford Church today. Um, so I'm going to pray for them. Dear Heavenly Father, we lift up Parker Ford Church today. Thank you that even when the people can't meet together physically, you're with each one of them and will never leave them. I pray that during this time of quarantine that you would deepen a hunger for you in the lives of these people. I pray that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that your word would be a light to their path, that they would not waver but continue to trust you for all their needs. I pray for great revelation for your truth and that they find in you the only promise of stability. Help the people to have an eternal perspective as they see things of this world diminishing in their availability and access to them. Please be with DJ, their pastor, and his family. I pray you would strengthen them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I pray for wisdom as DJ leads his his church family. Please give him clarity as you lead him through your word and spirit. Help him to communicate well between the elders how to strategically care for the needs of the people. Thank you for the gifts of compassion and self-sacrifice you have given DJ. I pray for those individuals at Parker Ford who may be sick, that you would heal and help them to get the care they need. Protect those who are elderly and vulnerable or suffer from chronic disease. Provide for the poor, especially those who are uninsured. I pray for those who are young and strong that you would give them caution to keep them from unknowingly spreading this disease. Inspire them to help. I pray for those who have mental challenges, who feel isolated, anxious, and helpless. I pray you would provide necessary support. I pray for those who may be facing layoffs and financial hardships. Please keep them from panic and inspire your church to generously support them. I pray for families with young children at home. God, please help mothers and fathers to partner together creatively for the care and flourishing of their children. Help families to enjoy learning together as kids are away from school. And for the single mothers and fathers, please grow their network of support. I pray for the parents at Parker Ford who cannot stay home from work but must find care for their children. Please present them with creative solutions. Help those people that need regular therapies and treatments that have been postponed. Help them to be patient and positive as you provide for them. I pray that wherever the families and individuals live in their communities, that your Holy Spirit would inspire them to pray, to give, to love, to serve, 
and to proclaim the gospel to their neighbors that the name of Jesus might be glorified. I especially pray for members who may be frontline health care workers, and we thank you for all their call to serve. Please keep them safe and healthy as well as their families. Help them to be clear-minded and deliver them from anxiety. Help them to exhibit their extra- your extraordinary peace so that many would ask about the reason of their hope. Give them opportunities to proclaim the gospel. God, we trust you are good and do good. Teach the people of Parker Ford to be faithful in this time of global crisis. Help them to abide in Jesus and follow in his footsteps as he laid down his life for others. Glorify his name as you equip and lead Parker Ford Church with everything they need to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You are more, you are more than my words could ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord, all creation will proclaim. You are here, you are here, in your presence I'm made whole. You are God, you are God, of all else I'm letting go. Hello Cornerstone, it's Angie. For the benediction today, I will be reading A Liturgy for Missing Someone by Douglas McKelvey. We willingly carry this ache. We carry it, O Father, to you. You created our hearts for unbroken fellowship. Yet, the constraints of time and place and the stuttering rhythms of life in a fallen world dictate that all fellowships in these days will at times be broken or incomplete. And so we find ourselves in this season bearing the sorrows of our separation from one another. We acknowledge, O Lord, that it is a right and a good thing to miss deeply those whom we love, but with whom we cannot be physically present. Grant us, therefore, courage to love well even in this time of absence. Grant us courage to shrink neither from the aches nor from the joy that love brings, for each, willingly received, will accomplish the good works you have appointed them to do. Therefore, we praise you even for our sadness, knowing that the sorrows we steward in this life will in time be redeemed. We praise you also knowing that these glad aches are a true measure of the bonds you have wrought between our hearts. Now use our sorrows as tools in your hand, O Lord, shaping our hearts into a truer imitation of the affections of Christ. Use even this sadness to carve out spaces in our souls where still greater repositories of holy affection might be held unto the end that we might better love in times of absence and in times of presence alike. We now entrust all to your keeping. May our reunion be joyous, whether in this life or in the life to come. How we look forward, O Lord, to the day when all our fellowships will be restored, eternal and unbroken. Amen. Amen.